We're talking with the founder and CEO of Zoho, a different kind of species of software company. And I mean that in the best way. I want to introduce Sridhar Vembu. He is the CEO and the founder of Zoho. Sridhar, how are you? And welcome to CXO Talk. Thank you for having me, Michael. I'm really happy to be here today. Please tell us about Zoho. Well, you said interesting, different species of software company. That's exactly right. Zoho, we are a cloud software company at one level, and we call ourselves the operating system for business. And really what's different about Zoho is that we provide an end-to-end suite of software covering all aspects of business to our enterprise customers. So that is really the that end-to-end uh, focus on that. And along the way, we also have built a company in a very different way. And just one aspect of it, it's bootstrapped, entirely bootstrapped, no outside money, no outside investor. It's still private after 23 years. That has some interesting implications that we will talk about today. I will also mention that I have been using Zoho for a while now. And you have an extraordinary number of modules. You're, you're a very, very large suite of software. Yes. The number of modules that you have is pretty amazing. So, so tell us, uh, how, do you, how do you organize or how do you think about that broad set of modules? You're covering a lot of, a lot of territory. That's uh, one of the more unusual things about Zoho, as you mentioned. Uh, really, these were all organically built over the last 15 or 16 years of the product's existence now. So it didn't come all overnight. And this has taken a long-term effort and commitment to R&D and that is how these products were born. And now the Zoho suite, if you go to zoho.com, you will see over 40 individual applications. And then another maybe about 60 or 70 mobile apps along the way. So it's a full suite covering all aspects from uh, sales and marketing, customer experience, uh, internal collaboration productivity, HR and finance, analytics, I mean, all of it. That's what really distinguishes Zoho from everyone else. Also, the, the, the modules uh, cover a combination of, can we say, back-end processes like, like finance or HR, as well as extremely customer-facing front-end processes, like, like you say, CRM, marketing, things like that. In fact, we flip it around and say, it gives you a customer centricity. We revolve everything around the customer, and then we build out the internal processes around all of this. So that's also what is special. So it is enterprise software built with the customer first, and then how everything that to support the customer, all the internal processes around it. I want to remind everybody that we're speaking with Sridhar Vembu, who is the CEO and founder of Zoho. Sridhar, you've been describing, we've been talking about kind of the scope of coverage, the broad scope that of, of applications, modules that Zoho includes. How did you start? Why did... I'm hesitating here. I'm trying to think how is the best way to ask the question. So, you know, why did you start Zoho? But more importantly, what is the the kind of mission? Because you didn't, you haven't accepted VC money. That the company's worth a lot of money as a result um, of the growth. Why? 
in the beginning, I mean, if the if you look at the go back to the beginning of the company, we saw an opportunity to build a new kind of software, and that's the initial when we were you know we had nothing on. We just you know started and got started writing code, and there wasn't a big vision of where we were going to get to, but there was a mission, and I distinguish the two. The mission was to be a good company, try to do good by both employees and customers and stay long term. That was actually there from the very beginning. From almost day one, I'd say that the company's real uh, mission was to treat employees well, customers well and stay in business long term. We didn't have a vision of what we were going to build and that came in the process of building it. The vision itself got established over a period of time. As we built more and more software, we saw more opportunities to integrate them. We saw opportunities to solve problems we didn't think of in the beginning. That is how the whole software suite evolved. One of the things that struck me when I first started using Zoho, I think a lot of people think about Zoho as being primarily CRM. And obviously, that's very important to you. But I, I was really, again, I was struck by the extent of the coverage that you have. And I, I think I cannot think of any other software company outside of really large, you know, large ones like Oracle or SAP that even approach the kind of coverage that you that you include. And that is absolutely true. And in fact, we have about 7,000 employees and at our size, I think it's safe to say no one else has that level of breadth and depth. I'd like to, to talk about that mission that you were just describing. So you talk about doing good and being a good company, but I think, let's face it, in Silicon Valley, every company says, we are going to change the world and we're going to do great things for the world. Uh, in your, and a lot of times, frankly, as we all know, it's just, you know, it's nonsense. Uh, so for you, how do you, how do you, how do you evaluate your own efforts to, that that metric how do you know that you're accomplishing that goal doing good and being a good company so this actually goes back to you know in the beginning obviously for every company the 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 first existential question is why should we exist do we need to exist does the market want us to exist that is that initial existence question or i'll translate it as how do we put food on the table and and you know, once you get past that stage, you achieve a measure of success. And and I define that as being self-sustaining. We are profitable enough to keep going. And people achieve a level of success. Then the real, you know, the question of mission starts to dawn on you. What what is it all for? Well, now that I have reached here, where do we go? Where do I why, why do we exist still? And in fact, people who are very success focused or they have financial metrics like we want to achieve $100 million in sales or a billion dollar in sales or whatever, then tend not to tend to never think about that mission question. And then what happens is once they reach that goal, suddenly they, they become purposeless in a way, goalless. And at some point for anybody, even the most financially minded people, it turns out that the money alone cannot motivate you. It loses that whole ability to motivate and then it just dawns on people, no, oh my God, where I've gotten here, but I don't know where I go from here. And that is actually something that I understood early on in our existence. 
that I felt that unless we had a mission, this whole thing is not worth doing. Money alone cannot motivate you long haul. And I do mean long haul here. We have been in business now 23 years now, and we still keep going. To keep going that way, you have to have something bigger than only money. And this is not to say money is not important. Obviously, we are a business. We have to keep the doors open. We have to pay our employees. We have to take care of customers. All that requires money. But money alone cannot be the purpose. And that is where it brings the mission question. For you, then, what is that purpose? It, we actually have defined it in uh, two ways. There is an internal and there is an external in this. But externally, we want to be a company that customers really love and they feel we are part of their success and want to stay on long term with us. So we take care of them so well that they really take us for granted. They want We want to be there as part of their daily work. And that is how, and say, in fact, our website, we say, your life's work powered by our life's work. And we really do mean it. So we have done our life's work to be able to power our customers' life's work. And that is the external focus. Internally, I also have a goal that we want to treat people well and provide well-paying jobs that people can you know, live on well and stay with us long term. And that is important to, to me in two ways. One is, you know, I look at the company as a kind of an extended family in a way. That it is not, I don't look at people as resources that are temporarily there to do something for us and then their thing is over and they move on. I look at people as we want to, to hire people so that we can keep them. And we have done a good job long time on this. Our attrition rate is actually quite low. I'm, I'm very, really proud of it. This plays into both ways. So people who stay with us long term go on to serve customers long term and the customers stay with us long term. So it is. it actually becomes over time something more than a company. It becomes a community. There is human element comes in now. It's not only about you know the, the bottom line, the quarterly statements, all of that. And that's something that a lot of people say it, but you have to live it. And to be able to live it, you have to have that long-term focus. So that is the, the mission part here. We have to take care of people well. Along the way, do something good for the world and in a small measure of good that we can do. And that is where our initiatives like Zoho University come in, where we provide an alternative educational model. And that's like the third leg of it. The, so there's employees, there's customers, and there's a broader community. What you're describing is in stark contrast to the typical Silicon Valley way of doing things, which is let's raise money from VCs, let's sell as much stuff as we can as fast as we can possibly do it, and then let's flip the company like real estate. Uh, and so, so why? Why do you have this? It's obviously a personal thing. Why? Why not do it the standard way? At some point, actually, we got, we had to face that question ourselves. And, you know, long time ago, this was actually very early on in our history. There was a company that came to acquire us. And this was, you know, I'm talking about the previous bubble, that 1999, 2000, that bubble. And we got offered at that time, I mean, what seemed like lots of money. And we had to face that existential question. Why not sell? Then why do we stay in business? We can take the money and run, right? And I actually posed this question to my co-founders. I asked the question, so what, we can now sell, we can make lots of money and we can move on. 
who wants to do that actually nobody wanted to do that then i asked so i'll never ask this question again because we are now committing for life here and let's just agree to this right and no regrets and our people i mean my co-founders all voted yes this is what we want to do then you know that's it then it's like a one one time decision and we never look back at that question again so we made up our minds and that's it we are going on going all the way now you committed for life yeah <laughs> that's how i think about it <laughs> committed for life i mean it's 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 funny when you think that way but then you are the company itself is evolving with life goals you think of it that way so the company is part of the life process it's not separate from you in that sense like whatever life things that are interesting you know whether zoho university came later like i have an interest in education so zoho university become part of company's mission and so in other words whatever interests then become part of a company's mission and this this we can afford because it's a private company we have no external shareholders no one controls our destiny then it then it's our life missions life objectives become part of the company's mission too that you know in fairness i have to also mention that you've been described as a billionaire so apparently the financial part has kind of worked out okay as well well i mean if i i never think of myself that way because the i i separate myself from the company's wealth in that sense actually that's that's a true uh, answer i look at there is actually a you know there's a where i come from in india there is mahatma gandhi made this point he was uh, mahatma gandhi is an interesting person right he was never a socialist he never had any uh, interest in it but he also advised the capitalists think of your company as a, something you hold in trust for a future generation that's what he said you are really a trustee of whatever things you want the wealth you want because and that way you you think of it as an organic long term living entity rather than some exploitable resource that's what gandhi said actually this is a, you know this this part about gandhi is not well known i actually have come to accept that as my own goal not that i started out that way i never thought about these things but now i realize there is a lot of wisdom in what gandhi said about this are you a meditator somewhat i mean i won't say i'm a serious meditator but i i my my preferred meditation is just sit there and stare at infinity for a long period of time <laughs> we have some questions from twitter sal rasa asks a question that's actually really important and i want to talk about this uh it the let's talk about customer experience because sal asks this question how do you gather and access customer needs to enhance the customer experience this is a very important one actually the more and more and more we are coming to the awareness that the entire purpose of business is to to create a customer and keep a customer happy right the customer experience should drive all customer is the reason we are in business and this is sometimes forgotten in a very sort of a productionist or production oriented systems where our job is to produce something and throw it over the wall and somebody will buy it that is not the understanding now and customer experience dominates because we are in a lot of you know let's face it modern modernity and about we are in a post scarcity world about a lot of material goods software a lot of this it's not like there is any scarcity of all these things so the the whole emphasis shifts towards the customer and the customer experience has to dominate all aspects of how we run a business 
and that is actually part of how we uh, you know that's really how we have thought about the zoho software suite that's why you know we are known for crm and, and the customer experience we knit the whole software the whole suite around that customer experience do you have formal mechanisms for gathering i mean i guess every software does but where where as you're, let me put it this way, as you're thinking about the operations of the company and the definition of uh, product features, how does customer experience come into play? If you look at, we engage, you know, maybe thousands of tickets per day in terms of our engagement with our customers around the world. And then we have these uh, events everywhere now. In fact, as we speak, there are events going on in uh, uh, UK and there's one in Dallas and so around the world these events where our people go live meet customer one-on-one -on -one. we have an active customer advisory board now then we conduct these online community meetups so feedback pours in from all these channels all of these and then we integrate and synthesize and a lot of our product management strategy vision is how do we keep evolving the product suite so that we can meet a growing customer need and the evolving customer need. And so there is an internal drive for this. We identify some areas that we need to work on. And then it's all this feedback that's driving this process. That is how we keep the company agile and, and very responsive to the, the evolving marketplace. Let's go on to another question. And Gus Beckdash is asking a question. A little bit of automation here or there means you've transformed uh, without re-architecting processes or making structural changes. He says, how would you educate them and what examples would you show them? This actually, I, I, I think I got the gist of it. And I often say this to customers. In fact, I've, I've said this exact thing to CIOs. Uh, you have to, you know, it's, our, we are very proud of our software, but not even our software, nothing you can just turn on and then get magical results unless the organization, the culture, all of this is already ready for it or willing to transform itself for it. Being mere software, no one's software, nobody's, can fix a broken organization. That's very important. In fact, I this is the cultural element, the org culture, all of that is the critical part. Once you have all those in place and software can help try to get some of them in place, but still the, the org transformation is still a broader goal than only the set of tools that you use. And then the, the organization can then be much more responsive to the customer and to the market and, and ship better products, offer better services, all of that. But for that, it is important to get the organization culture right. Then the software tools work with you to enhance your efficiency there. To what extent are, following up on that, to what extent are you involved with your customers as they are going through these, these transformation journeys, or is it distant and you, you, know, you supply the software and then they take care of their change and that's... I mean, it, multiple modes. There are customers who use us tactically. There are customers who use us strategically. When they are using us strategically, we get engaged quite a bit. I get involved in many of these conversations. And of course, we have now we're 7,000 people, so there's a lot of these going on simultaneously. And so as and the good news is, more and more customers have come to see Zoho as a, a strategic part of their 
organization technology infrastructure and that's where that we then we come in with we share what are the best practices that we have seen and we share our tips and i also along the way always emphasize you have to get your org culture right don't assume that any any software is a like a magical thing that you can just turn on and everything will work for you because then you have to get the culture right in order to get the maximum value out of any software we have another question from twitter and this is from cube cube yogi leader in zoho solutions and zoho partner and he asks what is the secret sauce of the and this is a quote magical unmatched depth magical pretty good unmatched depth and breadth of 40 plus enterprise apps of zoho which no other enterprise organization has been get to okay he's a he's a fan how do you what's the secret sauce of how do you how do you build build the stuff this kind of software uh, it's difficult to build i mean that's so that's why not a lot of people build it and it it requires a particular organization culture a particular way of thinking to be able to build this and it's not purely about the software talent even though of course that's a vital ingredient but it goes beyond that it goes beyond the technical talent involved and let me explain that a little bit so the org culture in zoho is one where there is both a lot of autonomy across our product lines and our divisions at the same time a sense of shared values and this is important because without the autonomy people cannot move fast and produce all of this if everything is centralized all the decision making is like for example people are waiting on me for crucial decisions they cannot actually move fast but if you know when you do this when you just say this without the shared values what happens is lot of organizations with that autonomous mode of execution then start to work at cross purposes it doesn't gel together to bring that together is a cultural uh, shared sense of values issue and not merely just you know and this is where i actually this is a this is a very interesting topic lot of organizations think of their things in terms of professionalism and i like in this analogy when you don't have a culture it's sort of you throw people professional talented people together you get the culture of a people in a bus going some place i mean i i use that analogy because obviously that's there is no such thing as a culture of people on a bus going to some place a driver takes them somewhere a lot of organizations think that way where you assemble a bunch of professionals and then there's somebody driving them some place there isn't that shared culture or shared values there at all it never builds up and when you don't when you think of people as replaceable resources that bus you know people get on and get off the bus and the driver is still driving somewhere so that is how the the, the culture becomes that kind of unculture then and that with that i don't believe that you can build this broad suite because it will start working at cross purposes so to do this you have to have a sense of shared values when you say that the risk is uh, working at cross purposes can you elaborate what you mean by that yeah so we have you know all these products 40 different products inevitably there will be product overlaps and this piece needs to talk to that piece and this product management group has to be in sync with another product a lot of this it cannot happen just by command and control my be ordering everyone to just obey that cannot work you know as systems get larger and we have smart people it cannot work 
So people have to have a shared mission and what is the purpose of this suite? How does it work together? And then, you know, make often what, you know, what seemingly sacrifices for the common good. That is important. Without it, you, you cannot build this kind of a product suite. We have a, a, a very relevant question to this from Arsalan Khan, who says, how did you break through the culture of your first customer when you, or your first customers when you were just a, a, a beginning startup? The story, we went to a, a trade show in Las Vegas. I remember I was there and we had a tiny booth, like a 10 by 10, that's the smallest booth there. And we met a few customers and we showed them demonstration. And it turned out, we didn't know this at that time, it turned out that a particular set of customers at that time, printer manufacturers, and they were interested in our software. And it turned out the reason was they were competing with HP in printers. HP was strong in software. These companies were not strong in software. They needed a partner. So we happened to have the right product for them. So that is how we found the first customers. So you always, I mean, the lesson here is you want to find some niche somewhere, uh, a pain point somewhere that you have to address it then you get the first customer because they are taking a risk with you. In this case, they had a reason to take the risk because they needed the software and, and, and their competition had it. They didn't have it, so they came to us. On this topic of the, the breadth of coverage, one of the things that I've seen over time, because I've, I've known of Zoho and have tried and used the products over the course of many years, is I've noticed that the support is getting better, uh, bugs are getting better, but still support is not even across all of these products. And some of the products have uh, are, are really polished and others are less so, and then some have more bugs and some have, have less so. How do you maintain consistency? This is a good question. And uh, all software takes a sort of a maturation life cycle. So you have to mature over time and it's not, uh, you, you cannot just turn on and instantly everything is perfect on day one. And we are a learning system and we constantly refine and adapt. And speaking of support, actually in the last two years, our fastest growing teams in the company have been supported. We put in a lot of resources and it shows because our actually customer satisfaction is really you know, massively improved. And, and it also has helped the product to get better because when, when support people are constantly engaging with the customer, talking to them, they get ideas on what we are what we should be doing better in terms of even the product. How do we avoid uh, you know, having this problem with the, the customer in the first place? So it's one thing to provide a, put a support person to solve the problem. Another thing is to help avoid the problem for the next customer. So all of this has gotten better. And you are right because we are constantly doing new software. And as it comes in, there is initial learning cycle that we go through and then we get better rapidly. And in fact, that Maturity cycle is accelerating because now the initial quality gets better now because we have the experience. And a lot of the software now goes through extended periods of both internal and what we call charter customer testing where some customers who really need it adopt it first and give us feedback. And only after we get 50 or 100 customers, we actually launch it in the market. So all these are the ways in which we are improving that whole initial quality, uh, initial customer satisfaction. How do you balance uh, flexibility with quality? For example, I submitted for one of your products, uh, Zoho Flow, 
which is sort of similar to Zapier. I submitted a request and they actually added some feature that I needed. I was really surprised, in fact, and it, and it was great. But that kind of responsiveness and, and agility, responsiveness to customers and agility can create its own set of problems because in the zeal to get it done fast, it's like, okay, great, we have this new feature, but it doesn't really work. So how do you, how do you balance that? Really good one. And uh, what tends to happen in this is when a product is relatively new, it doesn't have a lot of customers. At that time, actually, you can move faster. The teams also have a lot of, in effect, they are working for the initial customers. So they tend to move faster. As the product gets mature, two things happen. One is because it has already had tens of thousands and you know, millions of users, it, it gets sanded to more perfection because any problem that you encounter, somebody else, odds are someone else already would have encountered that would have been addressed in product management or engineering or support one way or the other. So you are less likely to find more obvious issues. So at that point, necessarily the system also has to slow down. We cannot be making changes and risk breaking something for the millions of users. So there is that, that is how it naturally, that cycle works where the products that are newer tend to evolve faster. The product that are more mature tend to evolve slower. What we also do in the cloud, this is a, there is a major benefit. We actually turn on some new features only to some customers at a time. And again, I mentioned the charter customers where let's say customer wants, badly wants a feature. We'll tell them, would you mind if we turn it on for you, but you would accept that this may have some uh, breakages, but you tell us what works, what doesn't work. So we turn it on for a few customers with their permission and then validate it for a long period and then go to the broader market, turn it on for everyone. The cloud actually gives us that natural advantage that way. In fact, we ourselves are the first uh, customer for most of our products. So what it means is we have you know, 7,000 employees. So things tend to get a lot of internal feedback before anything goes out. The um, Given, again, continuing on the, the breadth of the, the coverage, to so you, you have so many products. To what extent are you personally able to be involved with each of these products? And to what extent are you, you know, hands off having delegated and, and managing the broader aspects of the company? It really depends. I actually work hands on on some things. Obviously, I cannot work hands on on everything. And the reason I actually have a hands on on some technology areas is so that I stay honest and I stay grounded. Because, you know, I remind myself, what is our business? I mean, we are in software. I need to know software. <laughs> so I keep track of this, you know, in one or, some, one or two initiatives myself. And all the, no, the good thing here is, if you look at our senior managers, they've been with us 15 years, 20 years, 21 years. So it's very common. So they effectively run their own businesses very well. And I mentioned there is a lot of shared values so that they will bring to me a, a, maybe a difficult philosophical question or, or maybe a strategy question, but they will solve a lot of the other questions themselves. So that is what allows the system to scale. If everything has to wait for my input, we can never scale this way. What is the role of the culture in being a uh, self-correction self mechanism? So, the, or to... I'm not being clear. Does, to what extent does the, the culture help 
people in the organization who are owning these products self-correct their behavior, their decisions. So they, I mean, every one of our product groups are constantly in touch with customers. And of course, customers now speak up, you know, there's support, there's Twitter, there's social media, all of these things, the feedback pours in. And senior managers, myself, we are constantly looking at the uh, Twitter streams and any critical feedback posted, you can be very sure that that gets attention from a lot of senior people. Not just me, but a lot of other people. So that actually keeps us honest. Whenever somebody says something critical of us, that we know that there is, you know, we have some issue to address and that gets attention and that, that is an internal feedback mechanism. And this is actually the customer is a better boss than me because then, you know, the, the senior managers already know who they have to address, who they have to speak to to keep happy. It's not, it's not uh, the CEO, but it's the customer. So that is the natural internal self-correcting mechanism. You've been in business for longer than almost all software companies. 23 years. 23 years. Uh, very few software companies that have been around for, for that length of time. And so how do you prevent complacency and arrogance to infect the company? That's an excellent question. Actually, this comes from hiring. And I've always said that my preferred first, you know, I want to hire people who are uh, of humility and contentment. These two are values that uh, even for the company that humility and contentment are essential. And we try to reflect that in our marketing, all of these. We, the, because that, that's, you're exactly right. In fact, once you succeed more and more, arrogance, institutional arrogance becomes a major issue for any company and that's something we have to battle. The good thing is our people are actually almost to a fault, almost humble to a fault. That's actually a hallmark of the company and that helps to stay grounded. And we also always, you know, one of the things that grounds you is if you're constantly receiving this customer feedback, I mean, just this is literally a true story. Just this morning, just before this uh, call, I actually had an email exchange with a customer who had an issue and I, I linked them with our support people. I linked them with a customer empathy person to call that customer. So that keeps me grounded too. That, you know, you cannot get very arrogant when you actually are in the line of fire, line of duty every day. So We're soon going to be running out of time. So this is the part of the show where I have to ask you to answer relatively quickly because I have a whole lot of things left to, to talk with you about, but we only have a limited amount of time. So uh, you just mentioned you have a customer empathy person. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> so there is inevitably when you are handling thousands, tens of thousands of requests, there will be a certain number of customers. We let them down. We don't actually do this right. And we have a group that actually scans our tickets. And of course, they are alerted through AI or whatever they scans. And then whenever they see some customer is not getting supported well enough by our standard, they immediately intervene. They call the customer, they talk to them, they apologize, and they try to set things right. So we have that group. And that group also, in fact, the good news, I was talking to our customer empathy person, and she said, you know, actually, I, I don't have a lot to do these days. Actually, there's volume of things have gone down for me to do. And I said, that is good. We are, you are the one person I don't want to keep too busy. I told her. <laughs> so. All right. We have another question from Twitter. And this is from Sam Kumar. 
And he's asking about uh, the future, so you can see how comfortable you are answering this. As you enter large enterprise markets, are you seeing a requirement for speech analytics and workforce management? We definitely, the workforce management we have seen, and we are doing a lot more with the AI Zia and where we are working on all these projects. And the workforce management, actually, we have no products in that line of two. There is actually a, something called Workerly that is uh, in sort of trials now. So yes, we are definitely seeing these requirements. Looking forward into the future of Zoho, can you share with us where, what are you working on? Where are you going? Yeah, it's, we are looking for constantly ways to uh, enhance our own, how do we build software uh, faster, higher quality, uh, security, a lot of these are, in other words, as we built all the software, we have gained more experience in the nature of software development itself. And we are looking at that and on a foundation level and see how do we, uh, so there's three, the triangle of there is productivity in terms of development and there's software quality in terms of what the customer, the, the quality of the software and then there's security. And we believe that there are some technologies, techniques available to make all three better at the same time and improve productivity, improve quality, and of course, make it more secure. So these are the things that we are working on at a fundamental level. And these innovations will flow through all our products. The customers will benefit. And ultimately, we also have a philosophy in business where we believe that as these innovations make us better, make us more productive, we also should pass on the savings to the customer. The customer should benefit from you know, better software at better prices. And that is a critical thing for us because we want our software to be affordable to every business on the planet. Let's finish up with advice. What it, you're, you're, as I said at the beginning, you're a very different species of software company than most of the Silicon Valley ones that are out there. What advice do you have to entrepreneurs? There's actually, you know, I generally I don't like to give advice because it really depends on what the internal goals are. Not, I'm not talking about externally stated goals. People have to go into their own person and ask, who am I? What is my goal? What is my objective in this business? Why am I here? And they have to answer that question themselves, honestly. They have to face themselves and ask that, answer that question. And so let me advise the kind of person who will answer the question this way. If they want a mission-centered company, they want a company for the long haul, all of these. And it's actually okay not to be that. I mean, I, I don't judge people who say, I want to make lots of money and I want to sell the company. That's not, you know, I, it's not for me to advise them on this. But I will say that if you are, if you share the things I share, then I can provide you advice. And the advice is you, you stay long-term focused and you are able to then direct your short-term activities steadily towards alignment with the long-term. And if you have the time, give yourself that runway that, you know, we have 23 years. You've been in business. I hope to be around for another 25 years or longer. And that means that you have a lot of runway, runway to think about these problems long term. But it also allows you to build a company differently. For example, you might do something to pay the bills today, but you might have a mission that evolves in a different direction that you have the ability to do that. For example, 
Amazon is a retail company that also became a leader in AWS in the cloud. That kind of transformation is possible if you think long term. Can we drill into, you just made what I think is maybe the fundamental point, which is asking the question, why do I exist as a business? Why am I here? Can you elaborate on how an entrepreneur can even begin to approach that question in a, in a, in a, in a really honest uh, and penetrating it's way? A, the, the really honest way is very important because it ultimately goes to the who am I question. It's a spiritual question, really. Who am I? And why am I here? And this, you know, honestly, I'll tell you, there is no guidebook to answer this. This is why whether religions, philosophers, or spiritual gurus, all of them exist for this, to face up to this. So I don't, you know, I, I would not, uh, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I have any insight into this. But people have to answer this first. And they have to be honest with themselves because a lot of times, when we try to answer it, we are trying to answer it for some other person or what would impress them. But we have to actually think for ourselves, well, what would, why would, why am I here? And if you answer that question, you come up with it. I have told you that there's no a formula or any way to answer this. But maybe you read, maybe you reflect. And, and a lot of these techniques could uh, provide you some insights. And you, you have life experiences that will provide you insights. But that is the critical one before you know where you can take a company. That the who are my question is very important to answer, to have an idea of before you can answer what is my company here for. You know, I think some, probably maybe even many entrepreneurs listening to this and saying, oh, this is not relevant, you know, because I'm just trying to build a business. But I absolutely think that this is the fundamental. And, and as I said, in the beginning, Maybe no one has to ask the question because you are you are just trying to keep the doors open and you're just trying to survive. But these things come to the fore, particularly when you succeed. That's when this question becomes much more important. And if you have no idea, if you never thought about it while you are trying to make that living, then you feel more lost, actually. So even as you are going through the day-to-day -day struggles of keeping the doors open, it is good to have a glimpse into our inner selves and ask, why am I here? So that's why I say you have to ask, start asking it earlier than later. I mean, people say, okay, I'll figure out all these after I make it. Well, then what is making it? So that's why it is important to ask the question ahead of time. This is absolutely is the important question for durable, I believe, for durable success in business. We're, we're just, a, we're pretty much out of time, but we have one more, very quickly, I'll ask you one more question from Twitter, which just came in, which I think is interesting in, in the context of what we were just discussing. And this is from Sanjeev asks, do you consider Zoho a silic, as a Silicon Valley product or a hardcore Indian product? <laughs> <laughs> we consider ourselves a good product. <laughs> so I actually try not to define these in uh, such terms because these are you know the Silicon Valley connotes certain things and we as you said in the very beginning we are a unique animal and in fact to be honest a lot of inspiration came from places like Japan where a lot of companies have thought long term I'm I'm actually right now I'm in front of the Sony camera and this particular technology they've been I know I've studied their R&D they've been working on this R&D for 40 years on this which is why it's still world class right? That's the kind of company that I get inspired by. 
So you can say maybe a, a company based out of India and Silicon Valley with a lot of Japanese inspiration. You know, how does that sound? <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. I wish we had time to continue. Th Sridhar Vembu, uh, CEO and founder of Zoho, thank you so much for taking your time today. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. You have been watching CXO Talk. We've been speaking with Sridhar Vembu, who is, again, the CEO and founder of Zoho. Before you go, subscribe on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Just hit subscribe at the top of our menu bar. Thanks so much, everybody. We have amazing shows coming up, and I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs>